We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Last week, I talked to you a little bit about the free to focus course that Michael Hyatt is launching right now, and that is currently open. You can go and take advantage of that right now. Go to transformativeprincipal.org slash focus, and you can sign up to be part of that. Now, what's really powerful is that by taking that course, you're going to give yourself permission and time to get the things done that you really need to do. Now, I know that the real work happens after the kids and teachers go home and we stay at work for three hours to make sure we get all that stuff done. What this course will enable you to do is to find ways to make that time as productive as possible so that you're spending less time and getting more work done and still having margin in your life to do the things that you want to do. So this is not designed for educators, but it's a powerful course that will help take some of the skills we have in other areas and apply them to education, which, as you probably know, I'm all about. So go to transformativeprincipal.org slash focus to get more information. Transformative Principal, episode 192 with Naftali Hoff. I'm really excited about this episode. Naftali and I, I think, are going to be friends for a long time because this was a great conversation. Lots of good stuff about leadership versus management. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening. If you uh, have not shared this podcast with someone, would you take a minute and just hit the share button on your device and share it with somebody who could benefit from listening to it? And that would be awesome. Thank you so much. And 
I appreciate you listening to the Transformative Principle podcast. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have today Naftali Hoff, who is an executive coach, organizational consultant, trainer, writer, and speaker. And he was even a head of schools in Atlanta. So Naftali, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle podcast. My pleasure, Jethro. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm excited to have you on today. Uh, You are the author of a newish book at this point called Becoming the New Boss, The New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success. And I'm excited to talk to you because I am a new boss in a new school. And the great thing about doing this podcast is that I get to talk to people that have skill sets and experience to help me exactly where I am at. And so I feel like I get to cheat a little bit and always ask people exactly the questions that I need to ask. And so I'm excited to have you. So before we get into all that, though, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and history? And, you know, I don't need from birth until yesterday, but Give us an idea of where you've been and what you've been working on in your career. Uh, Yes. So I I began as a teacher about 20 years ago now uh, in an independent school in Chicago. And I I grew up in the New York area, but my wife is from Chicago. So we we relocated there. I had an opportunity pretty much right away uh, to get started in the classroom. And it was a fantastic, wonderful experience. A lot of work, you know, certainly a lot of preparation, trying to really understand the field and get better at my craft all the time. But that was really my beginning. And at the same time, I felt that while being in the classroom was a wonderful experience and I grew so much because of it, I also early on had this itch to get into school leadership. And so concurrent with my teaching, I began to find opportunities first by uh, running what we might call a supplementary school program. These were kids who were in the public school system throughout the week and wanted to get some, in my case, religious education. Uh, So they were coming to a program run out of a synagogue three times a week. And I ran that for a few years. And then I became an associate principal of a separate independent school which still was a part-time position to the point where I was able to teach for a portion of the morning and then come over uh, and participate in that other school program. So I had about eight years of administration under my belt before I took on my first head of school position, which was the Atlanta school that you referenced before. I did that for a bit and then decided that, you know, as much as I love being in the trenches and working with individuals and all of that, I kind of had this bigger picture of what I could possibly accomplish. And to be able to support principals in particular and other leaders the way that some people, consultants and others, had supported me. And so I felt that if I could pivot and utilize my experiences, my leadership, some of the mistakes that I made, as well as the successes that I experienced, and to use that in a way that would help people on a broader scale, I thought that that would be a great opportunity. And thankfully, I had been doing professional development for a bunch of years prior to this decision. So I knew that there was receptivity to my content, to my message, to my style of delivery. So I knew that I had kind of like that foundational piece uh, in the training and professional development space. 
And I felt that that would give me the foundation to allow me to continue to branch out to learn more and to become more effective in the coaching and consulting realm. And while I was doing that, I began to pursue more layers of higher education that I thought would help me. So I already held at that point two master's degrees in education. Then I pursued and recently completed a doctorate. Uh, it's actually a doctorate in psychology, but particularly with a focus on human and organizational psychology, which is a fancy way of saying, how do you go into an organization like a school, like a nonprofit or a for-profit, and better understand the mechanics, the leadership, all of those pieces and help it really optimize. Uh, and I also pursued a, a coaching certification as well. And while I was doing that, I was really getting interested in not only education, which was my passion, but also leadership, writing more and more about that, posting my blogs in various formats, and then eventually deciding that I had the tools and the basis and the foundation to pull it all together and to convert it into a book. And so obviously that wasn't a seamless transition. It needed to be finessed and sort of planned and mapped out and all of that. But I found a good publisher. I found somebody who I could work with. I had most of the content basically ready to go. And I decided that why not convert into book form a lot of the um, strategies, a lot of the components that I had learned along the way that I felt I could have used when I was starting off in my school leadership journey that would help other people as well. And I figured that if I could put it together in kind of like a soup to nuts layout, short, easy to read, straightforward chapters with actionable items involved in each, in each one of them, then I felt that I would be providing another service to the community and one that could ultimately allow for added engagement and conversation. That's a great history of, of who you are and what you've been doing. And it's, uh, it, I always find it fascinating listening to people tell how they went from one place to another because there's always, I think, a good story behind that. I'd like to talk a little bit about one of the things in your book and, and the, you talk about the essence of leadership and how that is different from management, for example. And can you talk a little bit about you know, going into a, a new school and how you establish yourself as the leader. Because, you know, you get a lot of advice when you're doing that. And some people say, don't change anything for the first year. Just go in and listen. Other people say, go in and talk. And so talk a little bit about, first about the leadership versus management, and then we'll get into the, to the other part. Sure. So um, leadership and management are often, are often used as somewhat interchangeable terms. You know, they both imply somebody who is in a higher position of authority, who has responsibility to oversee others and ensure that things are happening within their building, their team, etc. And um, in reality, based on lots of research, uh, it may just be semantics, but ultimately the way that leadership and management break down is that management has more to do with uh, overseeing others, sort of making sure that things are happening as they should. Teachers are in their classrooms on time. Students are out of the hallways. Reports are being delivered properly. Communications getting out to, to parents, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those are really important. You know, you need to be able to manage processes in order to ensure that a, an organization, certainly one as complex as a school, is able to function and function at a high level. Leadership is an other dimension. It's, so it's not like you can only be one or the other. The question in my mind really is what is your, what is your priority and what do you see as your main focus? So you can, for example, delegate 
management to a large degree. You can have people who are ensuring that these processes, et cetera, are happening. But where leadership really sort of distinguishes itself from management has to do with the vision, has to do with sort of that long-term big picture that you're creating. And how do you kind of get everybody around this idea and get them moving in a direction that's going to allow you to implement change where appropriate. It's going to allow them to engage in new learning. It's going to allow them to take risk and to try new things that otherwise they may not be willing to do because they're too concerned about meeting the managerial elements of their responsibility. So I think where leadership is really a gift and the the primary objective of every school leader, and I will digress for a moment simply to say that Leadership, in my mind, is not the exclusive realm of the school leader. It definitely belongs to every teacher and every member of staff within a school as well, and to a large degree to the students, but that's probably not a good uh, segue to get into right now. But the teacher piece, I think, is important, and I've written about this, because so much of what really works in education comes from the teachers. They understand it. They're on the front lines. They're the ones who are engaging in the process. So the more that we as as school leaders can engage our teachers as becoming, for lack of a better term, mini school leaders, to allow them also to have a voice and to give them an opportunity to share their ideas, we're going to have amplified leadership throughout our building. So to summarize my answer, management is sort of walking through the process, making sure that everything is happening, and leadership is ultimately a matter of going beyond. So to quote Peter Drucker, for example, it's about lifting a person's vision to high sights, raising a person's performance to a higher higher standard, going beyond its normal limitations. And if we think in those terms and we're willing to ask those questions that go beyond where we are today, and think about how can we do it even better, that's ultimately where uh, leadership distinguishes itself from management because management is focused on processes of today, getting everything done, doing your checklist. Leadership is about thinking beyond. So let's definitely come back to the idea of students taking on leadership opportunities in a school because, in fact, uh, right now, as we're recording this, so, you know, before these in advance. So right now the Transformative Leadership Summit is happening and Allison Zamuda is uh, going to be speaking today about it and she's going to talk about the need for students to become involved in the instructional design of the classroom. And so that is a powerful uh, lesson that she's going to give. And so I do want to circle back to that. But as a new person coming into a building or as an old person who's starting to, to figure this out, not old as an old, old, but you know what I mean. How do you go in and start communicating that vision, especially when in education teachers are so fearful of change and doing things differently? What's your approach to, to establishing yourself as a leader in a new situation? Okay, so just for my own clarification, is that question specific to student leadership or is that a broader question? That's a broader question for principals, and we'll get to student leadership in a, in a little bit. Okay, so I think based off of the, the two models that you shared before, I definitely find myself at this point, I can't say I did this necessarily at the beginning of my own tenure, though I think I did, but clearly some feedback that I got you know, indicated that I could have done even better at it. But nonetheless, uh, I'm more in the camp of being a good listener, certainly at the beginning. I think it's really important for, for leaders to establish trust. 
And trust comes from a variety of things, including being a good listener, somebody who people feel that they can turn to, that they can talk to, that is open to hearing what they have to say, and really values their message. So I think that that's an important piece of it. I don't know you necessarily have to wait an entire year, but I think that there certainly are opportunities for leaders to go into a school to demonstrate a willingness to listen, demonstrate a willingness to uh, accept and support the existing culture and certain other pieces that are, you know, that predate a new leader's tenure. uh, And at the same time, find ways to make low stakes, you know, high, high success rate moves that ultimately will put a few wins in their bank account. Because, you know, the same way that Rick Lavoy talks about uh, students in the special needs population needing to earn their chips, you know, when the chips are down, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that particular recording, yep. but the concept that, that many children don't have a lot of chips to work with. So I think that when you're building a relationship, everybody needs to be accumulating chips. The principal needs to accumulate some to the idea that they're going to trust him or her to achieve. Um, But the teachers need to be able to be earning chips as well so that they feel that the principal respects and supports them and they're not there to walk in and make quick judgments. So if you can find the that happy medium sort of walking through that process in the beginning, eventually I feel that you can begin the process of undergoing change, but you need to go through change very strategically. And that's a whole conversation in and of itself. How do you identify the right types of change? And what are the processes by which to gather that information? And then who are the right individuals and the right timetable by which to begin that process of implementation? How do you support it and ensure that it's moving in the right direction? All these kinds of things happen as a result of knowing where you want to go ahead and invest your time and what kind of changes you want to to move forward. And if you have that, and ideally if it's the kind of thing where you get a bunch of people behind it, you're not going to get everybody. And I think the idea of consensus is a little bit of a of a Pollyannish concept that you're going to get everybody, you know, within a school, you're talking of tens, if not hundreds of, of, of members of, of your broader team, depending on how big your school is, for example, including your parents in particular, then it comes even bigger and your students, you're not going to get everybody to support it. But if you can get everybody to understand the reasoning behind it, if you can get them to support the concept, the basic premise of what you're trying to achieve, and you get enough feedback where people feel, hey, I had an opportunity to weigh in on this, I had a voice, you know, whether it's through small group conversations, surveys, other types of data collection, one-to-one conversation, you begin to not only build the trust, but you collect the data that you need. And ideally, you want the data to drive your process. You know, the more that you can say, well, I did my data collection, and this is what I found out. This is what I've heard. This is what, you know, I've learned along the way. It's much harder for people to uh, challenge that and to feel like in some way you have an agenda, personal axe to grind when you're doing it from that place of objectivity, from that place of, you know, sort of let me find out whatever I can and then let's let that help guide our process forward. So one of the things that I've heard is that schools have been uh, devoid of leadership before someone comes in and the superintendent wanted somebody to to come in and have some like bring leadership to the school and in that sense it was a I was talking to someone about this a few weeks ago and they were going through a new trying to get a middle school schedule 
um, changed and it basically became, they spent all this time going through committee, doing all this work. And then at the end, they, they decided that they were just going to go back to how it was. So everybody walked away feeling like it was a complete waste of time, totally pointless, not worth it. And so then the person described that to me as it is, you know, we were, we just didn't have any leadership to, to get us to where we needed to be. And, you know, that's a very small snippet of what is obviously a much larger issue in that school. But how do you feel about that kind of a comment that the superintendent is bringing in somebody who's got some leadership? Are they, are they confusing manage, ma- being a manager with being a leader? Or is that a dangerous situation for the superintendent to put the new principal in? Because it sure sounds like it to me. So what, what are your thoughts on, on that? And uh, you can ask clarifying questions if it wasn't clear. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I do need a little bit of clarification. So the individual who had engaged in that conversation, but ultimately did not use that information um, towards change, that was a new principal or that was a superintendent? So that was a, the principal who had not made any changes based on the purpose was to to come up with some a different schedule. And they ended up not doing anything, um, even though the teacher committee had put in tons of work to, to make it happen, like six months of monthly meetings or something like that. Yeah, so, so I'm not really sure how, how the ball was dropped in that particular case. It sounds like either that person wasn't committed to leading the change, and maybe there were some difficulties that, they were, that were not anticipated. Perhaps there were other factors at play. So on the one hand, you know, I commend that person for initiating the process because at least they're demonstrating a desire to move things forward. But if you're not committed to it and you really aren't sure that you're going to actually lead the type of change, then frankly, you're probably best off not having done anything. Because if I'm, in that, if I'm in a member of that teacher committee and I've invested all the time that you described and then find out that nothing's going to happen with it, there's basically nothing more deflating than that from my perspective. And yeah. you lose a tremendous amount of trust. And really, um, it would be like the, the boy who cried wolf. You know, I don't see how that principle could ever get people to put themselves out in any significant way moving forward. They just simply have, uh, you know, the, the bridge was burned too deeply. So, so I think that, you know, you can't set people up. You cannot, I should say, just to be clear. Uh, set people up in a way like that if you're not going to move that process forward. Now, if you do encounter something that you didn't anticipate and you had every reason to want to bring these people together because you were planning to make a change and then you just decided it wasn't the best course of action, that's a different conversation completely. But then at least you go back to your teachers and say, hey, guys, you know, I really appreciate all of your effort and this is what I was thinking of doing or thinking of you know the next steps I was thinking of taking based off of what we all had discussed. However, these are the things that have emerged, and then you move on from there. So at least the people who are participating know that their efforts weren't wasted. It allowed everything to, you know, all the information to come forward, et cetera, but at the end of the day, it didn't move forward, and these are the reasons why. So I think people can accept that. They may still be disappointed, but I think at least they can accept it, and they start to say that, you know, if he were to ask me for help again, we may have to think about the issue more before we roll up our sleeves and really go deeper with the work. But at least, 
you know, it doesn't hopefully compromise the fundamental levels of trust. Well, that was a great interview with Naftali. I am next week we're going to talk about how to come back from making a mistake and i think that that's really good and and talking about building trust so i i hope you enjoy that thank you so much for listening to the transformative principle podcast i love doing this it gets me excited every single day and i hope that you love listening to it and please feel free to reach out to me at jethro jones on twitter and thank you so much for listening to the transformative principle podcast Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.